We're looking at the story of Hosea within our 2020 series. The reason we're doing this is because I think it's a great example of kind of the major concepts that we've looked at over the course of the first four weeks. So we kind of brushed on what are the broad strokes of Scripture, what are kind of the underlying colors that take place within the painting of the universal story. And, um, and as we go into the remainder of Hosea tonight, I did misspoke two weeks ago. Hosea, the, really the parable only takes three chapters. It doesn't take four. I don't know why I thought four, but it's three. Um, and we're going to look at chapters two and three tonight, so we're going to finish it tonight. But as we look at it, I want you to be reminded of the questions that I hope that you bring to the passages of Scripture that you read. Because that's what we kind of did. Again, we kind of... We were reminded of the broad strokes of the Bible, and now I'm hoping that as you approach each story in Scripture, these are the questions that you're asking. Okay? So if you look at with me at your um, yak sheet, it has 1 through 7 there. Don't fill in the blanks now. You'll do that after I read chapter 2. But again, these are some of the questions that I'd like you to answer tonight. What are true statements about this story? What are the true statements this story makes? Two, what are the same truths... What are the same truths that are true about us? So from that list of truths in the story, which of those apply to us? Three, who plays the role of Christ in the story? Christ is throughout Scripture. He's not just in the Gospels. Four, who plays the role of us in the story? Plays the role of us in the story. Five, who's the main character in the story? Six, what covenant is in play during this story? And seven, how is the covenant used during the story? So those are always the questions you should be asking no matter what passage of Scripture you're looking at. Those are kind of the underlying, um, it's what undergirds undergirds the message. So if you want to follow along, um, we're going to be in Hosea chapter 2 tonight. So if you have your Bibles, turn to that. It will be easier for you to follow along if you're there. Hosea chapter 2, we're going to read chapters 2 and 3. We're going to see how the universal story of the scripture speaks to this specific story in the Bible. And how that specific story in the Bible speaks to our universal story. Okay, remember we just got to the point. They've had three kids. And even in the midst of Gomer's harlotry, he still is pleading with her to come to him. And we find this played out again here. And this is what he says. Say to your brothers, you are my people. And to your sisters, you have received mercy. Plead with your mother, plead. For she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. That she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. Lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born. And make her like a wilderness. And make her like a parched land. And kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I I will have no mercy. Because they are children of whoredom. For their mother played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers. Who will give my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will hedge up her ways with thorns. And I will build a wall against her. So that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it is better for me than, 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 than now. 
And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her sabbaths, and I will appoint and all her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them, and I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals. When she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forget me and forgot me, declares the Lord. So kind of to fill you in on the story, because a lot there's a lot of um, Old Testament language here um, that's specific to the region. Um, she has cheated on her husband to the point where those children in chapter one might not be his. And he is saying that, look, you are going to these people, these lovers. That's the desires of your heart. And you think that they're giving you all these things. But they're not. It's really me who is giving you all these things. So I will literally put up a hedge of thorns. It looks like it will hurt you. But I'm telling you, don't go that way. Come to me. And when she finally realizes, man, I have a bad. And she does return. Know that essentially my arms will be open. And then the Lord's mercy on Israel. This is so beautiful. Verse 14. So this is where it becomes very plain. Right, so even if you got, sometimes you read scripture and you're like, uh, blah, 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 what's wool? What's lax? What's barley? What's all this stuff? There, a lot of it is super. It can be confusing. Get a commentary. Um, open the internets. I mean, you can find um, easy ways to kind of understand this stuff. But a lot of this is really plain, and I hope this is plain to you. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness. That's typically a place of beauty, right? And speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as in the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant. There, there's that word again. On that day, with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the creeping things of the grounds. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, the war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day, I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Chapter 3, and the Lord said to me, so the Lord speaking to Hosea, go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisin. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lechet of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be with you. 
For your children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household goods, gods, household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Let's pray. Father, you give us these snapshots, these paintings, these beautiful stories that point to your ultimate love for us. And Lord, all of scripture is really this one love story to us. At times, scripture can be tragedy, it can be fairy tale, it can be romance. But Lord, in the midst of it all, you are willfully drawing a people to yourself. We even saw it this morning in the book of Amos, how you use judgment to remind us of what is important and who is important. And Lord, may we even not be pushed that far, but may we listen to your tender whisper as you bring us into the wilderness and call us your people. In your son's name, amen. For the next few minutes, I don't do this a lot, but I want you to do this on your own. Don't pair up. Okay, Ben, don't don't answer for Ian. Let him do it on his own. Okay? Um, but you have seven questions. Um, I'd like you to take probably the next five, six, seven minutes. Um, go through those seven questions on your sheet and answer them. Some of them are one word answers. I mean, it's not like we're not doing rocket science here. Okay? Some of them are rich. I mean, we could spend at least seven minutes trying to answer all the true statements and and question one. So don't be exhausted necessarily, um, but enjoy the next kind of five, six, seven minutes. Look through the text of the scripture and pull those seven things from the story. So good job. Um, we will go through those answers in Transformation Group. We won't go through those right now. Um, More Transformation Group right now? No, no, no. Not right now. Oh. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was the easiest uh, talk tonight. It's ten minutes. So... Outside of those broad strokes, which hopefully you all saw, you can also pull out particulars from each kind of particular story and apply them to the universal story of Scripture. Um, they, they paint these similar truths that happen over and over again. Um, and I want to give you the ones that we can pull from here. Um, and then they're kind of your fill in, the blank, fill in the blanks. They're not kind of your fill in the blanks. They are your fill in the blanks. So your first fill in the blank is this, this particular truth. The covenant is unbreakable for the Lord. The covenant is unbreakable for the Lord. And this should give you much hope. This should give you much hope. The Lord's mercy towards Israel is one of the most beautiful sections of Scripture in the Old Testament. And if you notice the characters in the story and their current situation, it shouldn't be, right? And this is what it says, verse 3, I mean chapter 3, verse 1. And the Lord said to me, this is Hosea, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Think about it, Gomer is currently living with another. She has left the marriage. She's in a relationship with another man. She has left her children. And for any man in this situation, with a regular unfaithful spouse, 
This would be their way out. Hosea here has a get out of jail free card, right? He could be done with Gomer. She clearly thinks she's done with him. But for the Lord, the covenant is unbreakable. Even if it's convenient. Even if the other party of the covenant thinks they don't want it. God knows the best thing for his bride is himself. And he willingly buys her back at great cost to himself. If you notice in the text, he doesn't even have enough money. He pays the 15 shekels for silver. And then he doesn't have any more money. So he's got to pay with a homer and a lechet of barley. He literally has to barter. I don't get enough money, but I got this. Will you accept this as cash? If the covenant, and this is your next one in the blank, if the covenant is unbreakable, then you can know that the Lord will not give up on you. If the covenant is unbreakable, then you can know that the Lord will not give up on you. If you are in the covenant, your salvation is assured. Philippians 1.6 says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. That should bring you much hope. Number two. The covenant breaker is bought at great cost. It's already said the cost for Hosea to buy back Gomer was more than he had. So he had to pay by paying for something. It's called buying something in kind or paying for something in kind. It would be like having to buy something for 200 bucks and you only got $100. So you give them the $100 and you also give them your cell phone right, to cover the rest of the cost. Likewise, God buys back the covenant breaker at great cost. You cannot not see the parallel here. He bought back us at the cost of his son. Christ willingly lays his life down for the bride and then rises from the dead to live with her and make her new. Not out of duty, but out of love, which is my next point. Next fill in the blank. God's love for his people is not determined by their love for him. God's love for his people is not determined by their love for him. I know we're camping on this verse. I probably could have done the whole sermon from this verse, but I really like it. Here we go again. Chapter 3, verse 1. And the Lord said to me, Go again. Love a woman. Can you imagine that? I mean, think about it. Being Hosea. After all that? After all she's put me through? After all she's just put the kids through? After the betrayal? After not being apologetic? Ever? Yes, the Lord says, go again and love a woman. He doesn't say it's your duty, right? You have to. But he wants, he wants Jose to be emotionally attached to her. Go again. Love her. Love her again. And how does he do it? Back chapter 2, if you follow in chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Accor, which means trouble, a door of hope. So I will take what was meant for trouble and I will turn it into hope. There she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as in the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. When Israel was like, wow, God has saved us. It's all tying back in together. He loves you 
for no other reason other than the fact that he's chosen to do so. Thank God. To sum it all up, to your next fill in the blank, his love is a sacrificial love, and he loves to carry that to conclusion. And he loves to carry that to conclusion. I'll end with a story um, from Dad and Family Coach, from the book Dad, The Family Coach by David Simmons. He says this, I took Helen, eight-year-old, and Brendan, five-year-olds, to the Cloverfield Mall in Hattiesburg to do a little shopping. As we drove up, we spotted a Peterbilt 18-wheeler parked on the parked with a big sign above it that said Petting Zoo. The kids jumped up in a rush and asked, Daddy, Daddy, can we go, please, please, can we go? Sure, I said, flipping them both a quarter before walking into Sears. This tells you it's an old story. <laughs> quarter in Sears. Remember the days? Remember the days? Five, a nickel to ride that horse outside. Never mind. Um, they don't even know what Sears is. They don't even know what Sears is. <laughs> Flipping them both a quarter before walking into Sears. The kids bolted away, and I felt free to take my time looking for a scroll saw that I needed. A petting zoo consists of a portable fence erected in the mall with about six inches of sawdust and a hundred little furry baby animals of all kinds. Kids pay their money and stay in the enclosure enraptured with the squirmy little critters while their mom and dad shop. Brilliant. A few minutes later, he turned around and saw Helen, his daughter, walking behind him. He said he was shocked to see that that she preferred hardware department to the petting zoo and recognizing his error, he bent down and asked her what was wrong. And this is what he said. She looked at me with those giant, limpid brown eyes and said, said sadly, Well, Daddy, it cost 50 cents. So I gave Brenda my quarter. Then she said the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. She repeated our family motto. The family motto is, love is action. She'd given Brenda her quarter. No one loves cuddly furry creatures more than Helen. She had watched Sandy take my um, stake and say, love is action. She had watched both of us do the say, love is action for years around the house and at King's Arrow Ranch. She had heard and seen love is action, and now she had incorporated it into her little lifestyle. It had become part of her life. So what do you think I did? Well, not what you might think. As soon as I finished my errands, I took Helen to the petting zoo, and we stood by the fence and watched Brandon go crazy petting and feeding the animals. Helen stood with her hands and her chin resting on the fence and just watched Brandon. I had 50 cents burned. Uh, I, had a, I had 50 cents burning a hole in my pocket, but I never offered it to Helen, and she never asked for it because she knew the whole family motto. It's not love is action. It is love is sacrificial action. Love always pays a price. Love always costs something. Love is expensive. When you love, benefits occur to another's account. Love is for you, not for me. Love gives. It doesn't grab. Helen gave her quarter to Brandon and wanted to follow through with her lesson. She knew she had to taste the sacrifice. She wanted to experience the family, the total family motto. Love is sacrificial action. We're going to talk about that sacrificial action that we see today in the book of Hosea in Transformation Groups. So we're going to head there now.